Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Anita Nielsen with me. How are you, Anita? Doing great. Glad to be here. I am so excited to tell you a bit about Anita. She is a sales performance consultant, a well-respected industry thought leader, and the best-selling author of Beat the Bot, How Your Humanity Can Future-Proof Your Tech Sales Careers. Anita helps senior executive leaders elevate their sales teams to create high-performing sales cultures. Through her powerful Psych to Sell Masterclass, Anita educates and empowers sales professionals to win bigger, better, and more while creating customers for life. She is devoted to helping to elevate women in sales and serves on the boards for both the National Association of Women Sales Professionals and the Institute for Excellence in Sales Women Leadership Organization. Wow! So Anita, tell us, how did you get started and how did you really get to this place that you're at today? So I wish I could be the person that said that I knew I wanted a sales career forever and that's how I went into it. But like so many people, I got into it by accident. I um, had a gap between when I graduated with my psychology degree and when I was going to go to journalism school. And in that gap, I did a favor to a friend and went and interviewed. He was a staffing executive and did an interview with a company for like an account management job. And before I even got home, they had already called me. Well, when I got home, they called me and said that, hey, you have this job. It was just a favor so he could present a good client. But I thought about it. and I was like, hmm, this is kind of a nice offer. And so that's what I did. I started off. I did account management originally in my career. It was amazing. And then I moved into more direct sales. Then large deal pursuit is kind of where I landed for the majority of my sales career, at which point I figured out that I really love to do coaching. I love to help others. So I go hit my targets, yay, and then I would go help figure out how to help others. And almost that would give me more, it would be more rewarding, even than when I, you know, when I closed a whale deal. So that's when I decided I'd go into sales enablement. Then started my company, learned that I wanted to truly be a coach. And so I've been focusing on that. And then my psych to sell training class since then. It's about helping others, I think, is what I found out. So you're like a real life psychologist. Like, I didn't even realize that you had like, you have a degree in psychology, like an actual degree in psychology. Yeah, my undergrad's in psychology. And then my MBA, I did a lot of focus on like organizational behavior and leadership and stuff like that. So it's my jam. I wish I had the nerve to go do a PhD in psychology. I feel like I'd die of boredom, but that's not off the table. I try to look at it at least four times a year. I try to think about it, but haven't done it yet. Maybe, maybe someday. So I love this because I'm always talking about, you know, how adult learners learn and how people manage and lead. But you really have a different take on it because you actually learn these fundamentals in college and then you focused on it in your graduate work. So as somebody who was actually a classically trained psychologist, when you got into sales, how were you able to use those skills to help you sell better? Yeah, so it's funny. So I'm not technically, I guess I'm not a trained psychologist, but I did study it, right? So I didn't go get no, certified. No, no, no. Yeah. Stop, stop, stop. Stop putting yourself, you are a psychologist. Period. No, I know, but see, but that's the thing. I don't want anyone to think that I've like gone and done clinical therapy or anything like that. That is not my jam, but I've studied it. Like I've, I, that's my, deg- one of my degrees is in that. So I think for me, one of the things was right when I graduated, I used to say, I need someone to tell me the number that I can call to get a refund for my psych degree because this is gonna be no use to me. I can't believe what the hell, there's no point in this. Cause you couldn't get like a big job just with a psychology degree. So that's hence the journalism. And then when I started account management and I, I don't know what happened, but one day I just caught myself and I was like, everything you are doing is literally psychology. 
you're selling to human beings. This could not be more psychology if you actually tried. So shut up and quit thinking that you didn't get anything worth anything. Some of the things that I learned in psychology were critical to helping me be successful at that early age. You know, and I, it was just a variety of things, but I think ultimately it's the ability to communicate with other human beings, to listen really closely to them, right? To be able to create the rapport and build a relationship. It's really the, I mean, it's the study of human beings is the way I look at it. And so to me, being a real human, authentic, and going in genuinely wanting to help my customers, that was probably the thing that was selling more than anything. I think people buy who you are before they buy what you sell. Mm. And so I think for me, that's where psychology kind of came in. I mean, I just went in with that attitude of genuine curiosity and trying to help. And that's psychology, right? You got to get some trust before they're going to make the buying decision. And then it's viral. And so then it just like went and it, it exploded, right? Because you said, yeah. so you were hitting your numbers, you were hitting your quota and you realized, yeah, this is all good, but I want to help other people. So as an individual contributor, how did you really balance the I want to hit my numbers, but I also want to help my colleagues succeed. I didn't do a great job balancing, honestly. So like, I mean, I would get my numbers, I would hit them, but I wouldn't go way far out of my way to, you know, knock it out of the park if I had other people that were troubled and I was talking to the sales leader and they needed help. And it was almost like people used to always call me like a change agent, right? To just kind of get in there and help others understand sales better. And eventually it occurred to me that, you know, maybe that is what my superpower is. I mean, I can sell, sure, but helping other people sell, that's where I think the satisfaction really comes in for me. And, you know, that's been proven over the past six years in my classes. And it's like, um, when you love what you do, it's not work, right? That's kind of how I feel about it. So many times what I see leaders do with someone like you, who is like, I'll hit my numbers. Yeah, but I'm not gonna blow it out the park. I want to do these other things is they discourage them. They're like, no, your goal is to hit your quota. Your goal is to do this. What kind of environment was created that allowed you to feel like you could do that, that you could step out of the box and help others? I think it was because the leader that I had was not, he wasn't like really a coach. He was what I see typically in sales, somebody who was a superstar performer, kind of a lone wolf personality who then had gotten promoted into sales and as a sales leadership. And he didn't have the ability to coach, the ability to truly listen and to be empathetic and compassionate and focus on helping people grow. Right. To no fault of their own. I mean, they were successful as a sales professional. So that individual was probably kind of doing what I was doing, but just backwards. Right. So they were a sales leader. They were better and they made more money and they were happier when they were a seller. And so it was like they were perfectly happy to have me go out and help whoever I could. And then pretty soon the people on the team kind of realized that, too. I mean, I had these people reading books. Like I had in the old days, it was a seven habits of highly successful people. And at that time, people thought it was hokey. But by the end of it, we were all speaking in that language. So it's just kind of that, you know, wanting to help people be better and them knowing it. That's, I think, the most important thing. You can't help people grow if they aren't absolutely convinced that you are in their corner. And I think that's been something that I've been really blessed to be able to kind of express pretty early on in my relationships. People can tell that I care. I'm a caring person. And that goes a really long way. Mm, I feel like you were trying to give me a gift talking about your old sales manager that just got promoted up and didn't know what they were doing. But I'm just going to leave that there. That's what it's going to be. You heard it here first. Like if I ever lose my damn mind and want to write another book, it'll be something for new sales managers that were great individual contributors and just give them the basics that they can use to help them. Yeah. It's such a big gap, right? I was doing a, a webinar earlier this week and 
I actually said, okay, let's be honest, a really good salesperson, they're probably, they're most likely a little bit selfish because they're always thinking about hitting their number. So now you're like, focus on these other people. They're like, I don't wanna focus on people. I still wanna focus on the number. And so they drive everybody to hit the number. Um, like that is all they wanna think about. That's it. But it's, I mean, to be fair, like they were so successful, right? So typically companies don't have a good path for salespeople, right? So if you're a salesperson, you've done great. Obviously at some point you're like, I want to grow, right? I want to be better. Well, putting them in a management role is not the answer to that. I mean, maybe it's a more generous compensation plan. Maybe it's, you know, higher targets, the things that really drive people that are sellers. You know, you're self-oriented and that is a requirement, you know, for high impact, like direct sales. But the coaching is the requirement for sales leadership if you're going to do it right. And now, I'm talking about like now in the last decade, couple of decades. Before that, it was still like Wolf of Wall Street, right? Like there was still a lot of that crazy going on. But now I think people have gotten more comfortable and younger generations want a coach. They want their leader to be invested in them. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And as you said, taking that top salesperson and promoting them up, it gives you two holes. You, you are losing a hole in revenue because your top salesperson is there. And then you have a sales manager who really doesn't have the ropes. They don't have the tools they need. And so like getting creative, like let's give them a path. Let's actually yeah. develop them before we promote them. Let's yeah. let them sit in on meetings with us to see if they actually like this before they just blow their right. whole world right. up, right? right? Like, let's give them something. If you're a good leader, then you'll have another leader come sit with you. But the problem is so, it's like, it's so in every nook and cranny of sales. Like it almost takes somebody from like a sales enablement or a learning and development organization to come in and be like, hey, this is, you're going to come learn this. And, you know, I've been with companies, I've worked with companies that have hired um, coaching companies to come in and help not necessarily exactly for that sales leadership role, but to help with leadership skills, which they go great. But I'll tell you one of the sad things that I've heard so many times from sales leaders that have been maybe like six months to a year in their job is I tell them what they need to do, right? Like, okay, go do this. And this is how you're going to want to say this. And, you know, they just get frustrated. They're like, I'm not even making the money anymore. Like, this is crazy. I'm not even making, the, and I mean, a dollar for every time I've heard that from a sales leader. <laughs> Because that was something that really motivated them and it mattered to them. So now they've taken a pay cut, taken on so much responsibility. It's just a really weird setup how that goes. Yeah. I like to ask them that deep dive question, why? Yeah. Why do you want to get into this role? Because if it's anything that is on the surface, this is not going to be right for you, right? Mm -hmm. Because you make less money, you work a lot harder. Like these are the two things that you but have to realize. It's not... And that, that is very hard for individual contributors sometimes to grasp. So you mentioned moving into sales enablement, and we talked about how important that is within the organization. So when you first dipped your toe into sales enablement, tell us about those first days. What was that like for you? So interestingly enough, I, I always kind of was doing sales enablement. And I had a leader who was um, tasked with being a sales enablement organization. It was brand new really great leader. And he wanted to build a team of sales enablement leaders to go and help, I guess, grow a company that was merged with or like acquired, right? And to get those transactional salespeople and help elevate them to be more complex um, or large deal salespeople. So because of that, I had to build a whole enablement plan. And it was almost like, at that time, we didn't really know much about what it was called. We figured out that it was going to be enablement, but enablement wasn't really a thing back then. And so I loved every minute of it. I mean, I worked with different sales leaders, helped them put together their strategy, you know, trained salespeople, had a couple of like intense events for training and onboarding. It was awesome. And I loved it. Pretty soon, I started to go to industry events for sales enablement. 
I started to read about it. And I just became obsessed with this idea because it's like everything that I want to do to help a salesperson be successful kind of was falling into this. And I could pick and choose which things needed to happen to help that sales professional or sales leader be successful. And so I ended up working for a sales enablement platform. So like one of the very, very early sales enablement platforms. And it was cool. And so there I started as like a sales enablement consultant. And it was an awesome role. I really, really loved it. Unfortunately, I did not love the manager for that role. It was like just a really, I'd never, ever quit a job before in my life like that. I'd never not been promoted to get to the next job or not gotten a better offer. So I quit because of that person. And then I didn't know what to do with myself. And then next thing you know, I'm like, get up. You need to start your own company then. And boy, was that the best decision ever. Mm, I have a similar story of my reason for starting my company. (laughs) I bet. But tell us a little bit more about sales enablement. I have audience that are in very different industries and sales enablement still isn't a term that is used so widely across all industries. So really, what is sales enablement? So it's an interesting question because I think nowadays some people are even calling it revenue enablement, right? Or Mm. they're trying to use them both interchangeably. So for me, sales enablement has always been about giving a sales professional what they need to be able to have the right conversation at the right time with the right people in the most effective way that advances them in the sales process, right? So it was about teaching them. It was about giving them content and collateral. It was about measuring them. It was about coaching them, all those types of things. What it wasn't about was a lot of the data component of it. Sure, that was something important, but most companies, when they looked at sales enablement, that wasn't part of it. Like you had the numbers, but you weren't obsessive about it. And I think revenue enablement and maybe sales operations has kind of taken on that function. Because it's interesting to me, people that are traditionally pure sales enablement, like actually the coaches, the people that want to help sales succeed, they are not going to be that great at that data stuff. Like it's, they're probably a little bit allergic to it. Likewise, the data people, they're not huge fans of walking around trying to train people. I'm making a general statement here, but you know, personality wise, that is kind of how it works. So I think there should be a sales enablement organization. And within that, there should be enablement and operations, right? Or you can call it revenue enablement, enablement and operations. That's what I believe it's kind of evolved into today because sales, it is a different skill set, really, if you think about it, the data and the operations compared to the actual people, touchy feely, you know, learning, development, all that type of thing. Mm, And a lot of times those worlds kind of collide, right? Because it's like, no, 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 we want to focus on skills. We want to focus on development. We want to focus on these things. And then you have these rev ops people who are like, but the numbers aren't where they need to be. I pull the data, I'm pulling the reports. And so there's this big conflict of interest. It is. You know, what's interesting though, I found um, just in my experience, many of the sales leaders, they tend to lean more on the sales enablement people because as a generality, Sales leaders, no one is obsessed about like babysitting people and their numbers. Like data is important, but data is only as good as the story that it tells and the change that it creates, right? And so if it can't create positive change, don't show me the data. Slicing it and dicing it 800 ways is not going to create value. Value is only in it giving me some insight or idea that tells me I better go do this to my sales team to help them be better. This is what's harming them. Or why is it that they're stuck in this stage of the sales process for so long? Naturally, salespeople, again, who've been elevated to be sales managers, they're not huge on that number crunching. It's just not their favorite thing to do. So I think they lean a lot more on sales enablement. I've always said that the only way that sales enablement can really be successful is if they have a true partnership. And I mean, like, really, not the played out word, but the actual, we're here to help each other succeed. We are going to win, and we're only going to win if we work together. And those I found are the sales enablement people that are super successful. And those are the most healthy sales organizations. Hmm. 
partnership. Um, yeah. There's no lone wolf mentality, right? Gone are the days where you're the sales leader and you have to coach and you have to pull numbers and you have to build the CRM and you have to do all those things. Yeah. And when organizations understand that these support mechanisms for your sales leadership and your sales team, that is what is going to drive your growth, making sure that they have what they need in terms of metrics and their tech stack and all of that, but also making sure that they're getting coached and developed and doing the things that they need. So a sales manager can actually just be a sales manager and not have 50 different jobs that they're doing and get burnt out and say, I don't want to do this. I'm leaving this company. I want to be demoted. All the things. That's right. And it's just, it's unfortunate. I think ultimately it goes back to senior leadership, right? Like the C-level, CEOs, you know, CROs, anybody who's at that senior decision strategy level. Those individuals have to be evolved enough to know that you got to put people in a job that aligns with who they are, what they stand for, what their personality is. If you don't, you're going to end up putting them in a place that's we call it cognitive dissonance, right? Like where what you're having to do is so not who you are that it's a big fat chore. And that's to me really part of why burnout happens. And so a leader needs to understand that, you know what, maybe I'm not going to have revenue enablement. Maybe I'm going to have sales enablement and maybe we'll have like a data operations team underneath that sales enablement person. But it's on the leaders to recognize that the personalities of those two are not the same. And if you put a sales enablement person in a data role, they're going to be like, I don't know what to do with myself. And they could try and they might be okay, but they won't be very happy for very long. Again, generality, there's some that are, but I would argue that maybe the people that call themselves sales enablement that are totally into metrics, probably more rev ops or sales operations or data. They're not the true sales enablement, like devoted to learning and development and let me go, you know, help that sales leader grow or the salesperson grow. I completely agree. You mentioned before you started your company, you had a bad manager. And I, I love to say people leave managers, they don't leave companies. Because you, you love the technology. It was a great platform, but the manager made your life miserable. <laughs> yeah, and it was an interesting situation because that manager, they were so, again, self-motivated and self-focused that they had built, I'll never forget, they built like a 60-some page, really overly excessively complex presentation that was a result of whatever the um, consulting, small consulting engagement was, which was like a discovery that we did. And I have a different style of working with my customers. Like, I'll do everything that needs to be done, but I also am listening for their personal challenges. I'm listening to what value really means to them, not just what the marketing content says. And so ultimately, I said that I wasn't going to use 60 pages because my customer doesn't need it, but I'm going to add these few. The dude lost his mind. I mean, he was like, no, you have to know this. You have to understand this. And I was like, I understand it, but I don't agree with it. And I'd actually heard some customers talking about how garbage it was and how they, and like I've, I was on calls when he was talking and going through his deck and the customers, you could see their faces, like they were falling asleep or they were picking or they were looking at something else. Horrible. And I told him, I said, look, if I take this deck to my key client, my favorite client at the time, they're going to be like, who are you and where's Anita? And can you send her back? Because Anita would never put this in front of us. It's a true story. And so then the sales leader kind of retaliated. He wasn't very happy. So he's kind of mean and kind of bullying. And then he put me on a pip, which that about made me lose my damn mind. I'm like, I'm that person who always gets the, I'm like that student that everybody hates, right? Like I'm at the front of the class raising my hand and this guy is going to put me on a pip because I didn't want to be a minion. And I just couldn't. And it wasn't because I was a woman. It was just like, he would have done that to anybody that was questioning or asking questions. And questions is my core. <laughs> That's the thing I teach and this is what I do. 
So it was ugly and um, I quit. It was the hardest thing I've done in my career because I've never, I felt like I've never given up on a job. I continued to work with that company, by the way, with their marketing team. I mean, I was a really good fit for them and they, they actually helped establish me, you know, as a voice online because of my continued work with them. And they were like, we know you're good. We know that that person didn't know what to do with you, so please don't leave us. And it was really, that was a partnership, right? But it just goes to show that, like you said, people leave people. And people leave places that don't give them psychological safety is what I always say. And that was not going to be it for me. So first time since I was 15 years old that I did not have a job. I didn't like my identity was crushed, right? Like I was depressed and all these things because I, I always got promotions or like a better job. This never happened to me. So it was hard to dig myself out of that and like kind of pick myself and say, look, give it a try. If it doesn't work, go get a job. But I was fortunate enough to, you know, my husband and I, we both, you know, have a job. And so I had a little bit of a leeway to be able to go out and try something new. And I was really lucky. And I think the best part was the sales leader that I'd worked with in the past, they came back to me when they found out that I was out on my own and they just wanted me to come help them. So up until like last year, my business was a hundred percent referral. Wow. Yeah. Which was like, to me, that was probably one of my most, the things I'm most proud of ever is that people are advocating me and my business to their people that they know. Mm -hmm. And I take that, like, I don't take that responsibility lightly. And it's something that I just appreciate beyond measure. Mm, that's a powerful story. The way that toxic managers can really cause good employees to leave, right? Because you were like, no, I'm just advocating for myself. And then one thing you said that is funny, I actually had a, um, a leader tell me this once. No, 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 Wesleyan, it's not because you're a woman. This is how he treats everyone. I was like, why is that okay? That is not okay. It is not okay for somebody okay. to treat everyone like that and for you guys to excuse it. And so really stepping out on yeah. like in this big bad world, not having anybody write your paycheck, saying I'm just going to dip my toe in this ocean and I'm yeah. going to see what happens, especially when you come from a place where your core of who you are and everything that you've always known has kind of been like depleted and diminished, you know, yeah. like it's hard to climb out of that place and then yeah. get to a place. And like you said, you've been in business for six years and your business for five years was hundred percent referral. So yeah. if yeah. any validation or any vindication of how amazing you were was needed, that actually yeah. shows you that that person, that small minded person who really forced you out, yeah, he was threatened. Their opinions didn't matter. It took me a long time to come to that, but he was threatened, right? Like when I put my psychology hat and looked back at it, he was somebody who'd been in that kind of a role for a long time. Things were changing at the top, right? So he was, he didn't want me to come in and rock any boat and be right about it. Like that was, I think, his biggest fear. And I just did some math. I've been in business for eight years, 2014. Oh my God. Oh. It's been a while. So, but that was 2014 and it's just like, I feels like nothing. No time is, I mean, all the time has gone so quickly because I just loved it. I love what I do now. I know when you wake up every day and you're like, I can just do this all the time. If I didn't have to pay bills, I would just do it on. like all day. Like, I mean, if I didn't have to think about money, I mean, yeah, that is what always has to roll me back because I just love yeah. what I do. Exactly. Well, and for me, one of the things that was interesting, I never set out to write a book, right? Like that was never my thing. And, and I did it because I was so frustrated with salespeople getting demoralized and, you know, feeling like they would not succeed or that technology was going to overwhelm them or it didn't help them. And so when I wrote my book, it was like a, almost like a love letter or cheat sheet for salespeople because it's like, don't be disheartened. You have what it takes to be able to 
you know, stay successful even as the future happens. It's just, you know, when there's more technology coming into the picture, you have to emphasize more of your humanity. So it always goes back to those salespeople. Like, you know, I work with sales leaders, but the salespeople have always been my people. And so it's really important to me that they understand that they have in them what it takes to be successful as a future sales professional from a, like, just a sincerity, humanity, compassion standpoint. So tell us more about your book. Beat the bots. Tell us about it. Beat the bots. Well, that's it. I mean, it's basically a book about how technology is coming in. And at that time when I wrote it, there was some nonsense that I read about how B2B sales is dead because robots are going to take over the jobs. And it just drove me bananas because my poor salespeople are out there reading this nonsense. And there's a very distinct, it's different. The sales jobs, they did die. I mean, we've seen that because the jobs that were very, very, very transactional, where you could just put it on Amazon and hit buy it now anyway, where the salesperson didn't really create any value or connection, those will go to robots. Like, why wouldn't they? I mean, that's what I would do. I would outsource to some machine because it was just doing the rote stuff by, you know, that it needed to do. And I need it done. I wouldn't put the right personality on something like that. I need someone who knows how to relate with human beings. And I think that gets taken for granted sometimes. I mean, sales has always been a people-y profession, right? So I think for me, the motivation behind it was, look, don't be discouraged by this crazy. You need to focus on who you are, what you stand for, and figure out how to take that and bring it to bear for your customer success. Like devote yourself, orient yourself around that customer success. Your success will follow because the one thing that's so hard for people to find nowadays is someone that they can trust that they feel like has their back especially someone who's selling you something like who does that that is how you get a customer for life right funny thing so when i early on in my business i was trying to do my marketing stuff i was trying to come up with my value proposition and all this and i was really struggling and so one of the coaches i had at the time she's like go you need to go call your last few customers and ask them why they bought from you and i was like i don't want to do that that's annoying <laughs> and i did it and it was the most eye-opening thing that maybe in my entire work career happened they didn't say things like, oh, she creates really good deliverables or, you know, her training class was this or none of those things that I thought were my value proposition. Ultimately, it was, oh, you, I was never going to fail on your watch, right? You saw my blind spot. You always kept me aware of the blind spot, right? You, um, you had my back. And I'm like, this is insane. Like, I never saw those things coming. But that is also a function of just being a human being. And that's kind of, it's like, it's who you are. It's not what you sell. And it was a revelation at that time for me. But glad I figured it out because it would have been really a lot of nonsense marketing material if I didn't. But that was just like, it was probably one of the more proud moments I've had. Yeah. When you see yourself through your customer's eyes or through your family's eyes, it is very impactful because when (laughs) I ask people, so when I'm working with a client towards the end, I'm like, okay, let's do a video interview testimonial. Where did you start? Where did you get to share the impacts that you've had, right? And so the things that they tell me, I'm just like, wow, really? I did that? Okay, that's a great way to describe me. Oh, yep, that sounds just like me. So really tapping into their voice and realizing that what makes you successful is treating someone as a human being and teaching sales leaders and salespeople that your customers are humans. They're not just a dollar sign. They're not just another PO. They're not just another notch on your belt. They're actually human beings that have real desires, wants, and things that are happening to them. And really peeling below that layer and getting to that core is what helps you be excellent at sales. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like you have to look at your customers as two things. One, that role, that title, that person who's been assigned this task of making this purchase. But then you look at the human being, 
who needs to get to their kids' soccer games on weekends and not have to work late, right? The person who has career goals or wants to leave a legacy. If you're not selling to both of those things, you're, you're not gonna have a customer for life. And you may win the deal on accident sometimes, but you're not creating a lasting impact on your customers, one that they will, you know, they'll find you anywhere. I so, so agree. So I am curious, you've had a very, um, Fantastic career. Share with us what? something, an experience personally or professionally that has impacted the way that you show up today. You know, it probably is that that they told me that I had their back, right? So it kind of became, that became what I focus on more than, you know, all the other nonsense things. But the other one that comes to mind is being a mom, to tell you the truth. Like, I feel like that took me to another level in sales, in sales leadership, in leadership, because you have to learn skills if you don't already have them, you have to hone them of listening, like really listening, the compassion, the empathy, the seeing the world through their eyes. Or, I mean, sometimes salespeople are challenging, right? Like my ability to handle challenging kids was helping me figure out how to deal with conflict you know, with my sales teams and with my salespeople. So I, you know, I only half joke when I say motherhood is an MBA. I mean, that's like my second MBA because were it not for living with these children and kind of understanding their needs and how to address those, I don't know that I would have been as successful. Like kids are you know, human beings. They're like little human beings and they don't have all that walls, all that false, like just a false narrative. So you learn a lot on how you interact with them. And I think a lot of that has served me really well. I love it. I love it. I, I know being a mother, you know, the things that our little people <laughs> teach us. Yeah, well, the teenagers might kill me now. Yeah, but these teenagers might be the end of me, but that's a different <laughs> problem. But when they were smaller, like I've got two teenagers right now, that's a whole nother level. But as they grew, like that was something that was really powerful for me. Yeah, and I think the teenagers teach you, like you said, how to deal with difficult customers, oh, yeah. how to deal with resistant salespeople. Oh, because yeah. I mean, your teenagers are actually in the same generation as this new workforce yes. that we have entering, oh right? It's fascinating to me. I mean, so just a little thing on that. I was talking to my son and I was talking about like, you know, I think it's Gen Z is what I was saying. Like they come in and they have a lot of expectations from their leadership. And I said, that's something that the workforce is going to have to evolve to. And you know, one of the things he was talking about, he's like, yeah, like, why aren't you guys teaching people how to handle their 401k? Why aren't you helping them take investment classes? And I'm like, dude, you're 16, first of all. Like, I don't know where this is coming from. But two, yeah, you got a point, kid. The things that matter to this younger generation are different, vastly different than what mattered to two generations ago. They're like that traditional sales generation, right? So you have to have that in mind. These people measure the value of an employer based on the value that employer creates for them in terms of their career, their legacy, what they want to put into the world. These guys, are, they're a lot more about putting into the world. And I'm just, I'm really proud of that. I just, I love it. I love how much they want to make a difference and employers need to get on board if they want the top talent. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. Gen Z and Zillennials. My youngest brother is, he's like, oh no, I'm a Zillennial. I'm like, oh, that's that, I never heard that one. before. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm right on the cusp of, of being Z. And I'm oh, like, really? yep. And you act like my teenager and like, <laughs> like your brothers. Like you're yeah, definitely you right in the middle. You're toggling the you're toggling the fence. You got it both going. That's hilarious. Like it's like the cusp when you're like um the star signs, right? Like you're on you're the cusp person. You're kind of like, yes. That's hilarious. So you're like, I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but sometimes <laughs> exactly. I act like this and sometimes I act like that. Yeah. So, so really being a mother, being a parent, the lessons that we learn, I mean, I think those are our really first lessons in leadership. 
conflict resolution, breaking things down so little humans understand, right? Balancing time management. And so I completely, completely agree with you that, you know, being a mother is something that has impacted the way that you lead and show up today. You got to be proactive. I mean, good luck if you're a mom that's going to leave the house without diapers and you're dead, right? Like, so (laughs) it's that constant wanting to plan ahead, like knowing what your vision is for these little people and making sure that you put everything in place to make that happen and to help them realize whatever that is. And you know, that's very much like my relationship with sales professionals. Like I have to make sure I do everything I can knowing what they're striving for, knowing what their potential is. And then what do I got to do proactively to help them get there? I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Anita, this has been a fantastic conversation. So tell us what is the one best way for us to get in touch with you if somebody's interested in chatting with you more? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way. Um, Anita Nielsen, it's the, the bright red shirt on, with LDK Advisory Services. But I, I tend to be on LinkedIn the majority of my time. It's like my hub. So yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Thank you so, so much for sharing. Thank you. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thanks for having me. Yes, this was an amazing conversation. Even though you said I can't call you an actual psychologist, I'll say you're a psychology <laughs> major. You have a background in psychology. There we go. I had a degree, got the, the bachelor's in it, but I would love to be able to say that I've actually gone through like the formal training, but maybe someday, not just yet. Not just yet. When those teenagers are gone, you're like, oh my gosh, I have so much time left. Like, exactly. what am I going to do now? Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you again for your time, your talent, and your expertise. And I greatly appreciate you chatting with me today. I appreciate you. Thanks, Wesleyan. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in all that you do and every day, transform your sales. Until next time.